No, I didn't say you can be seated, so you're like, hey, I have to stand the whole time. Several years ago, a professor at the University of Pennsylvania was known for giving these boring, cliche-ridden lectures. And at the beginning of one semester, one of his classes decided they're going to breathe some new life into his course, and they were going to do that by assigning baseball plays to each one of his cliches. For example, on the other hand was a base hit. By the same token was a strikeout. And so on was a stolen base. So they divided into two teams and they sat on different sides of the lecture hall, the same side every uh, day that they met. And they played this silent game of baseball throughout the semester. And this happened on the very last day of class. The impossible thing happened. Bases are loaded. Score is tied, and the guy hits a grand slam. And one side of the lecture hall stands up and cheers wildly, and the other side is completely silent. Although deeply appreciative, the professor was quoted later as having wondered why only half of the students appeared to be enthusiastic about his lectures. Now, I hope this morning that when I'm done teaching you this morning, that there won't be one half of you that stands up cheering and the other half just kind of walks out silently. But if you do, I will have my suspicions. This morning, I want to talk to you about balcony people and basement people. And the scriptures that we're going to be looking at are focused mainly in the book of Acts. So if you want to turn there in your Bible or on your device to Acts, and we're going to begin at chapter 4. We're surrounded by basement people, and let me explain to you what I mean when I use that phrase. Basement people are people who drain the life from us. And this reality makes it even better when God graciously places balcony people in our lives, people who encourage us when we need it the most. And to show the power of this statement, we're going to examine a guy that I consider to be the patron saint of encouragement, a man whose birth name was Joseph. I think one of the things that you're going to enjoy about this sermon is seeing the connections made between this man Joseph and the Apostle Paul and John Mark and even with the early church as a whole. Joseph was in the background of some of the most pivotal moments in early Christian history. And if not for the encouragement from the balcony, who knows what would have happened? That's what we're going to see as I end today with a final Uh, imaginary illustration of the funeral of this man. Now, when I was in high school, one of my best friends bought a 1960-something Baja bug. If you're not familiar with that, it's just a converted uh, Volkswagen Beetle that they used to drive down in Baja, California. Uh, What was interesting about my friend's car is that it had no heat, and the cold wind came up through the floorboards as you were driving, And even in Southern California, on those cold morning commutes, you know, when it dips down into the low 50s, uh, we would have to wear jackets. It also didn't have a working gas gauge, but it did have a great stereo. And my friend blasted cool in the gang every morning as we drove to school. And those of you who are at least 10 years younger or at least 10 years older than me are thinking, cool in the who? Well... Back to this broken gas gauge. It was a mystery as to when this Baja bug would run out of gas. And instead of just topping it off once a week to make sure that he always had enough, 
My friend would try to guess when his car would run out of gas and then just kind of coast into the nearest gas station a good one or two blocks before it would have sputtered to a standstill. Cars aren't the only things that have fuel tanks. People have them too. Everybody you know has an unseen fuel tank. And even though this fuel tank is unseen, you can read their gauge. Look at them in the eye. Some people, their eyes are alive and their eyes have almost a fire in them. Some are just glazed over. Look at their shoulders, and some people are walking with their shoulders squared and straight, while others are hunched over. Or you can look at the way that they walk. Some people walk briskly and with a lot of energy, and some people are just kind of shuffling along. There are some people who fill your tank. They breathe life into you. They remind you of how good God is and that he has this wonderful plan for you and wants to fulfill it. And when you're with them, you find that your anxiety goes down and your hope goes up. Gregory of Nyssa was one of the early church fathers in the fourth century, and he painted this beautiful word picture of this kind of living. I want to read this to you. At horse races, the spectators intent on victory shout to their favorites in the contest. From the balcony, they incite the rider to keener effort, urging the horses on while leaning forward and flailing the air with their outstretched hand instead of a whip. I seem to be doing the same thing myself, most valued friend and brother, while you are competing admirably in a divine race, straining constantly for the prize of the heavenly calling. I exhort, urge, and encourage you vigorously." This is what I think Gregory was saying. I'm up in the stands, and I'm watching you, my friend, and I'm cheering you on. This is your life. This is your race. God is with you, so don't give up. Keep running the race. Some people do that for you. That's what what you would call your balcony people. When you're with them, they just fill your tank. Then you have other people in your life who, when you're not looking... Stick a a hose in your tank, take a deep breath, and suck all the energy out of your life. Those are basement people. Those people are joy stealers and dream squashers and fault finders. They're like a slow leak in an air mattress. Have you ever slept on an air mattress that had a leak in it? And you wake up sometime in the early hours of the morning and you feel like you've been swallowed by a giant taco? But we are still called to love basement people. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But we also have to guard our hearts and not let those people steal our joy. But we also can't just point at other people and say, they're the problem. They're the joy stealers. Because each one of us can be a basement person to other people. But that's not God's plan for his followers. Encouragement is the language of the Bible, and the word encourage in some form or another is used over a hundred times in the New Testament. One of the great characters in the Bible is the guy that we're going to look at today. His given name is Joseph, and we find him mostly in the book of Acts. We're going to look at him and learn how we can follow his example. First of all, Joseph was a balcony person by giving. We meet Joseph for the first time in Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start at verse 36. 
Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now I realize I've been kind of sneaky throughout this introduction. I've been calling him by his given name, Joseph, when you probably know him by the name Barnabas. But we're also told that Joseph was a Levite. And Levites were a tribe of Israel, and in those days they served as assistants to the priests, as doorkeepers in the temple, or musicians, or some other form of service. But Joseph couldn't do that because he was born in Cyprus, which meant that he hadn't been born, obviously, in the land of Israel. So he was a Hellenist, a name given to the Jews who spoke Greek and adopted Greek culture. They were regarded as foreigners, and they didn't speak Aramaic as those born in Israel did, and they were considered to have picked up quite a few Gentile ways. There was a lot of hostility born uh, between those native-born Israelites and the Hellenists. And because of that tension, Joseph was not allowed to serve in the temple like Levites normally did. Now, it wouldn't surprise us hearing all of that to think, that there would be a bitterness in Barnabas. But he is not like that. He is a balcony guy. And he becomes part of this new community of Christ followers. And his, he's in this group. He sees a need, and he says to himself, I've got some property. I really don't need this. I could sell it and give it to the apostles, and they could use it to help people in need. Joseph is the first recorded donor in this new community. And when the Bible says that he put the money at the apostles' feet, what he's saying is, I'm giving this money to you. I don't need to be involved in this. I don't need credit for this. I don't want credit for this. You don't need to tell anybody this money came from Barnabas. I trust you to do the right thing with it. There is encouragement that comes when somebody gives. Many of you know that kind of joy in giving. Some of you have not just given, but you've given sacrificially. People who give, even though they have less money, worry less about the money they have than those who have kept all of their money and haven't given it away. When we start giving, God wants us to do so with a joyful heart, and Joseph did that. He didn't merely give, but he gave joyfully. And the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you already know that feeling, and and some of you, some of us, could learn to give in that kind of spirit better. The disciples say to each other after watching this incredibly generous act, Joseph is just not an adequate name for this guy. So we're going to give him a nickname. We're going to call him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And maybe if they had asked me, they would have called him Balcony Boy. (laughs) Barnabas encourages the community by giving financially, and the community encourages Barnabas by giving him this nickname that reminds him every time somebody calls out to him what an encouragement he has been. Let me share with you an illustration on giving. The very first person to reach the status of billionaire was a man who knew how to set goals and to follow through. At the age of 23, John D. Rockefeller had become a millionaire. Now think about that. How many of you at the age of 23 had more than two quarters rubbing in your pocket? 
But by the age of 50, he had become a billionaire. And we kind of throw that word around and, and forget what it really means. But a billion is a thousand millions. So therefore, a billionaire is a millionaire a thousand times over. And every decision that Rockefeller made, every attitude that he had, every relationship that he cultivated was done to create more personal wealth and power. But three years after becoming the world's first billionaire, now at the age of 53, Rockefeller became gravely ill. His body was racked with pain and he even lost most of his hair. In complete agony, the world's first and only billionaire could buy anything that he wanted, but he could only eat and digest milk and crackers. His personal, highly skilled physicians predicted that he would die within a year. That year passed agonizingly slow, and he woke one morning with remembrances of a dream. I'm pretty sure he wasn't dreaming about a giant taco, but uh, what he could recall... And you know what that's like when you wake up, right? And you think, oh, I was just dreaming something. What was that about? What he could remember was that it had something to do with not being able to take anything with him into the next life. Now, you've probably heard the saying as well as I have, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. That's what it reminded me of. The man who could control the business world suddenly realized that he couldn't even control his own life. He was left with a choice. And so he called his attorneys and his accountants and his managers, and he said, we're going a different direction with my assets. We're going to channel them into hospitals, research, and mission work. And this new direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, cures for the current strains of malaria, tuberculosis, and diphtheria. The list of discoveries resulting from his choice was astounding, But perhaps the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is that when he began to give back a portion of all that he had earned, it even affected his physical body, so much so that his health began to improve drastically. And when it had looked like he was going to die at the age of 53, Rockefeller lived to be 98 years old. Rockefeller learned that gratitude and doing Things associated with a gracious heart helped make him well. So we saw that Barnabas was a balcony person through giving financially. Now we're going to see that Barnabas was a balcony person by showing grace. After this episode, Barnabas disappears from the story for a while. And the next time we see him is in Acts chapter 9, alongside a man named Saul who had been terrorizing Jesus' followers. Saul had been spreading these murderous threats and uh, finding men and women to take as prisoners. But then he met Jesus, and he repented, and he followed Jesus. And now he believes, but he's got this problem. Because when he wanted to go to Jerusalem to join the disciples, they're all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he had changed. What they remembered was that he had murdered one of the church leaders, Stephen, and that he had threatened and persecuted, imprisoned and killed their husbands and wives and brothers and sisters. How do they know that this is for real? How do they know that Saul isn't just faking it so that he can get inside this church group and do even more damage? Nobody's going to touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. So the disciples say, 
I'm not going to meet with him. Are you going to meet with him? No, I'm not going to meet with him. And then they think, let's get Barney to try it. Barney likes everybody. So they sent Barnabas to check out Saul. Balcony people give you this wonderful gift. They believe that you can change with God's help. That's grace. They don't let who you were before restrict who you could be or who you might become. 2 Corinthians 5.17 reminds us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Barnabas was willing to take a risk on Saul. And he became his friend and he got to know him. And he was willing to see the best in Saul and to help others to see the best in Saul. He went to the church leaders and he said, look at the change in Saul's life. Look at what's happened between him and God. Look at how he's devoting his life to the gospel. Take it from me. This guy can be trusted. Because Barnabas and Saul could, uh, said that Saul could be trusted, the church leaders embraced Saul. And Saul stayed with him, and he moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, what would have happened to Saul if it had not been for Barnabas? His acceptance in the church is because of one balcony person who gave him this wonderful gift of a new beginning, a second chance, grace. And you can do that for somebody Now, at the end of this story, there's this wonderful little summary in verse 31 of chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So not only were they encouraged, but they also grew in numbers. People were saying, I want to be a part of this community I want to live in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. Then Barnabas disappears from the story again until another critical moment in the history of the church. Flip over to chapter 11, Acts 11, verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenist also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Can you see the drama at this moment? This is a hinge point in world history. Up until this point, the good news about Jesus had spread primarily among the Jewish people. But this is where some daring soul says, you know, if this was good enough for Jewish people, maybe it would also be good for Gentiles. I mean, maybe this would be good for the whole world. Let's try this new experience. Let's try uh, telling the Gentiles the good news. Now, of course, it was God who gave them that idea. It was God's idea from the beginning of creation to do this. The reason that he had a chosen people, the people of Israel, was so that they could be the spokespeople for this good news and then take it throughout the whole world, not so that they could keep it to themselves. So they do that, and amazingly, the Gentiles who don't know the Torah, who don't know the Jewish customs, who don't know hardly anything about Israel, they respond and they begin to enter into the church family. And the first major city outside of Israel where the Jesus movement begins to take root is in a city called Antioch. 
and it's a little bit north of Israel and Syria. Word then gets back to Jerusalem, and this is what they're saying. In Antioch, this Jesus, Jesus movement is spreading, but it's beginning to get this Gentile flavor, and we're not sure about that. I mean, if we let the Gentiles in, this is going to change everything. We're not always good about change, are we? I mean, we, we don't mind seeing change in somebody else. As a matter of fact, I'm willing to make some, some ideas made known to you about where you need to change. But when somebody says, I need to change, that's when I get a little defensive. And I think that's human nature. So in a sense, everything is going to hinge on who the Jerusalem church is going to send to check this out. And so who do they decide to send? Barnabas. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. We've seen Barnabas be a balcony person by giving financially and by giving grace and now we're going to see Barnabas being a balcony person by serving. Antioch is where the Bible first says that God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles because he's a God of open doors. It wasn't long before Barnabas realized that he was going to need somebody to help him in this new opportunity. Somebody who knew the scriptures extremely well. Somebody who could speak to Gentiles somebody who possessed great courage and energy, somebody who had a brilliant mind and was a great communicator, as Barnabas reflects on what he needs in the person that he's going to take with him, he remembers this brilliant convert named Saul. Now, this is actually ironic because nobody was more Jewish than Saul. No one had more zeal for the Torah than Saul. But Barnabas says, I think there's something in Saul that could be developed here for the benefit of the Gentiles. And Saul soon becomes known as Paul. And the reason for that name change was simple. Saul was the Jewish form of his name, and Paul was the Greek or Gentile version. He would become the greatest missionary to the Gentile world. Paul would change the world, but it only happened because of Barnabas. Because balcony people can see things in others that no one else can see. Barnabas and Paul do ministry together, and an interesting thing happens. Now, in the ancient world, it's very significant in the order that names are given. It shows you who's in charge, who is recognized as the leader of a group. And we see in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, I'm going to read this from the New International Version because it actually uses uh, the names of these men. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Barnabas is listed first because at this time, Barnabas is the recognized leader of this group. And then in Acts 13, 2, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And something begins to happen in this process. Paul's gifts begin to flourish, and his, his maturity begins to blossom. And then later in that same chapter, in verse 42, it says, 
As Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people repeatedly begged to have these things spoken to them the next Sabbath. Did you catch what happened there? The order of the names is reversed. When they set out on this missionary trip, it was Barnabas and Paul. Just now we read it's Paul and Barnabas. Paul is now recognized as the leader of this group. From a public relations view, this is terrible. It seems that Barnabas has done a very poor job of career management. He has not positioned himself well. The mission has been a great success, and he should have been making sure that he's getting credit for it. Barnabas could have been jealous about the way the press was reporting this. He could have longed for the the status that Paul was receiving. Instead, he rejoiced in it. His joy was in recognizing and developing greatness in other people. Paul's ministry went on to be far more visible than Barnabas's was, and nobody rejoiced in that more than Barnabas. He's just a balcony person. Jesus said it was going to be that way. In Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 26, it says, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. That's where greatness is. And ultimately, that's where joy is. It's not in clawing your way to the top for recognition and fame and money and power. Barnabas has a kingdom mentality. He doesn't need to get the recognition. He's a balcony guy. He sees the big picture from God's perspective and not from his own. Let me share with you an illustration on serving. When the great violinist Nicola Paganini died, he left his marvelous violin to the city of Genoa, the place of his birth. But he did give a condition. He said that that instrument should never be played again. That was a very unfortunate condition because it's a peculiarity of wood that as long as it's used and handled, it shows very little wear. But as soon as it's no longer used, it begins to decay. That exquisite, mellow-toned violin, even though today it's in a controlled environment, is no longer the instrument it was or even would be if it was still handled and played. It has very little value as a musical instrument and now only has value as a relic. That instrument is a reminder that a life withdrawn from service to others loses its meaning and its value. So we've seen Barnabas was a balcony person by giving financially, by giving grace, by serving others, and now we're going to see Barnabas as a balcony person by developing others. Paul and Barnabas would often take other people with them on their ministry trips in order to develop the ministry of these particular individuals. That's just a part of who Barnabas was. One of the young men that he reached out to was named John Mark. Sometimes you you just hear him called Mark. We see a brief glimpse of him in the Gospel of Mark, which was either written by him or transcribed by him through the words of Peter. In the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, there's a story of a young man, unnamed, who just before Jesus is crucified becomes afraid and runs away, deserting Jesus 
and leaving his cloak behind. That young man was probably Mark. The next time we hear about Mark, he is traveling with Paul and Barnabas to help them for a while. However, in the book of Acts, Luke writes, Paul and his companions... Let me just stop there for a minute. Have you noticed this? We've gone from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas, and now it's Paul and his companions. He's not even mentioned by name anymore. But this uh, verse says, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga, where John Mark left them to return to Jerusalem. John Mark deserts them just like he had deserted Jesus. We don't know why, but I don't know about you, but I'm seeing a pattern in his life. Later in Acts chapter 15, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go on another trip to strengthen the churches. And Barnabas suggests that they take John Mark, give him a second chance. And Paul says, no way. The last time I gave this guy a second chance, he bailed on us halfway through the trip. Now notice this in Acts 15.39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they, that's Paul and Barnabas, separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. I imagine Barnabas saying, Hey, Paul, do you remember back in Jerusalem, there was this guy that nobody would touch with a 10-foot pole because he had done such awful things to the church? Who was that guy? Oh, that's right, it was you. And who was it that gave you a second chance? And now you're going to tell me that you're not willing to give a second chance to John Mark? But notice what Paul writes many years later in what was perhaps the last letter that he ever wrote. 2 Timothy 4.11 Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Somebody that Paul had discarded and said, this guy is useless, he'll never change. He says, get Mark and bring him because he is very useful to me in ministry. Old Barnabas saw something in Mark that turned out to be right all along. The life of John Mark is one more tribute to the power of a balcony person. Mark wrote or transcribed one of the Gospels. Most scholars think that that the Gospel of Mark was the first Gospel written and that even Matthew and Luke had used it as reference as they wrote their Gospels. But what if Barnabas had given up on Mark? But balcony people stand with you when you fail. And we need to be balcony people for each other. That idea is throughout the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, But exhort one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see that? When we're not encouraged, sin starts to look good to us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And the writer of Hebrews says in 10.25, Not neglecting to meet together is is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is not about our what we can do in our human strength, because the main person, the, the main encouragement is coming from the Holy Spirit. 
Now, you remember I told you in the introduction, we're going to have this imaginary funeral for Joseph. Have you ever thought or wondered what people might say at your funeral? And I started thinking about that for Barnabas. A man gets up to speak, and it's the Apostle Paul. And everybody nudges each other. I mean, he's the Apostle Paul, right? He's famous. And he says, I persecuted the church. I put followers of Jesus to death and put them in prison. And when I became a Christ follower, nobody would trust me. Nobody would touch me. But then Barnabas came along and put his arm around me and said, I'll vouch for him. Paul said, I stand before you today because of Barnabas. And then John Mark gets up. He's no longer a young adult, and people nudge each other again because he's famous, right? He, he wrote the Gospel of Mark. And he says, the truth about me is I was a quitter. I had run away from Jesus and again from ministry, but Barnabas would not give up on me. He saw something in me. I don't know why or what. He took me under his wing and said, I'll vouch for him. John Mark said, I'm here today because of a man named Barnabas. Then a Greek guy from Antioch gets up and he says, I was a pagan. I was so lost it wasn't even funny. Then I heard about Jesus and I wanted in, but... I wasn't Jewish. I didn't know the Torah. I didn't know the Jewish customs. I didn't fit. But then Barnabas came along and he said that Jesus came for a guy like me. And he put his arm around me and said, I'll vouch for him. And that man said, I'm here today because of this man, Barnabas. Then an old widow stands up and and nobody nudges anybody else because she's not famous. And she says, I lost everything when my husband died. I had no income. I had young children to take care of. I didn't know if I was going to make it. And then Barnabas came along and he quietly sold his own property so that I could have something to live on, so that I could feed my children. I'm here today because of Barnabas. That's the funeral of a man who never tried to be great but just tried to bring about greatness in other people. The spread of the gospel from this one little ethnic group where it had been secluded for so many centuries and then goes to the whole world. The collective writings of Paul and Mark that comprises about half of the writings of the New Testament. All of that happened because one man stood in the balcony and said, keep on going, you can do it. In God's kingdom, that's what greatness looks like. It's something God does when you're not even looking to make yourself look great. Is that the kind of person you want to be? A balcony person? Are you wondering how you can be that kind of a person? It's not a great mystery. Jesus wrapped it up in two very easy-to-understand statements that are contained in what's known as the Great Commandment. It's found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So number one, love God. 
You can't do any of that in your own strength. Just admit to God what he already knows. We can't do this outside of God's power fulfilling us. Ask him. The second is to love people. In Philippians 2.4, it says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And that's how we can become a balcony person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these examples that you have saved and preserved for us for all of these centuries so that we can understand what it's like to live out the Christian life. Help us to be the kind of person that encourages other people and doesn't seek the spotlight for ourselves. And Father, if we have fallen into this trap of of being a joy stealer, of being a basement person, would you come into our lives and just reverse that? Help us to be the kind of person that brings hope into other people's lives. We thank you for doing that. In Jesus' name, amen.